We welcome you to the We Love Arabian Horses podcast. We host multiple opportunities to learn more about the Arabian horse breeds shared for horse lovers of all ages. Contact us if you'd like to learn more about sponsor opportunities. Hey, this is Austin with We Love Arabian Horses. We've entered round two of our recipe collection process for the We Love Arabian Horses cookbook. The final product of this cookbook will be available on demand from our publisher and will be available to any listener at a low cost and allows you, the listener, to share your best recipes with the world. In order to share your recipes, please visit weloveArabianHorses.com slash cookbook. There's a link to submit your recipe, become a sponsor, or ask any additional questions there. Round 2's deadline is September 1st, 2021, so make sure to visit weloveArabianHorses.com slash cookbook to share your recipe with us. Hello, everyone. This is Evie Tubb-Sweeney with the We Love Arabian Horses Foundation, and we are thrilled to have with us today Yanina Mers of Om Al Arab. Yanina is a lifelong Arabian horse breeder and lover. Yanina, welcome to the broadcast today. Thank you, Evie. Thanks so much for having me today. I'm so excited to talk with you. Absolutely. You have a huge story, so um, it'll be super fun to get your unique perspective on what we're talking about today. But um, we'll first talk about uh, a question that we always ask each of our interviewees, and that is, Yanina, give us a quick overview of your story with Arabians, as well as what has kind of continued to fuel that passion for you over the years. Well, I was um, one of the really lucky ones. I was born, literally born into an existing Arabian breeding program. So my mom and my father started breeding Arabian horses in 1970, 50 years ago, actually, this year. And, um, 50, 50 years ago. <laughs> big year. years ago, yeah. We have our big 50th anniversary year this year, which wow. we will... Um, we were wanting to celebrate, you know, publicly with a big party and all of that this year. Um, yeah. But alas, that wasn't meant to be, so we will do it next year. <laughs> okay. That's all right. 51. That's a big 50. year as well. Exactly. 51 is good. <laughs> so um, my my parents started breeding horses in the 70s in Germany, and, um, and they actually uh, were – they, they met, okay, so the, I'll, I'll backtrack just a little bit. They met at a state stud in Marbach, which is a state stud in Germany, where they, where they both did a month-long course to learn about horses. And um, they didn't know each other at the time. They met there. And my mom had um, the opportunity to care for the Arabian stallions. And one of one, the ones that she, was under her care was Hapan and Zahi, who interestingly is, you know, in our, in our pedigrees, to this day so that was kind of a fun it's a fun little side side note yeah um yeah and they met they fell in love they decided um to go on a shopping spree and they bought 18 mares in spain uh one of them being estopa who is the mother of el shaklan and they bought three horses in egypt one of them was shakar al-masri the father of el shaklan and um, and that was sort of the foundation. That, well, the, those were the foundation horses. And actually, there are still two of those, two of the mares from Spain, so Estopa and this other mare, Nihara, that they bought are still in our breeding, pro- breeding program today. Um, and so I was born in 1975, so five years into their into their mm-hmm. you know into their venture. 
um, I was born the same year as Elsa Klon, so my mom always used to say that it was a really great year. <laughs> <laughs> a big year, exactly. A big year. And then two years later, uh, Ibn Estopa was born, and he was twice world champion stallion. And um, my brother was born that same year, so he also was born in a good year. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Something in the water those two years, probably. Something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So that's that's a little bit of my story. So I um, I grew up in Germany, and then um, later on, when I was nine, we moved to the U.S. Also because of Elsa Klon. Mm-hmm. So my my life trajectory has really followed our horses' trajectory, and um, they're just completely intertwined, really. Yeah, and you know, some people might say, well, since you were literally born into it. Um, did you have a choice in the matter, or was it, would you call it? Would you truly call it a passion that's developed for you for these horses over the years? It's, it, I, I guess, it's a little bit of both. Well, yeah, a little bit of both. But um, you know, growing up, I, I would, I worked on the farm, um, and I actually, I actually, when it was time to get a job, you know, kind of in high school to get a little extra money, I, um, I, I went and I applied. You know, at a book a bookstore, and they gave me the job. And then I actually thought about that. I think I should probably just work on the farm with the horses that I love. And so I never did. I never did have a real job. I just went straight to doing what I had always done and helped after school and on the weekends. Um, and then I, um, but but what I really was was thinking when I when I went off to college was that I wanted to have like a real normal job. And so I studied psychology, and I was going to become a therapist. Um, I had just sort of watched the, you know, the ups and downs of my parents' lives, lives um, in the horse industry, and it's not always easy um, mm-hmm. being a horse breeder. And so I thought, a oh, therapist sounds like a nice, safe <laughs> job. And, uh, and a normal like, job. Normal job. It's like a normal paycheck and you yeah. know, regular hours and all those things that you don't have when you're when you're breeding horses. Um, yeah. And uh, and much like the bookstore story, I um, the the summer before my senior year in college, I went to help some friends in the south of France prepare their horses for Menton, and I was there for months, and it was just. You know, it was just so beautiful. What a great summer, actually. Um, but I was watching a mare uh, in their arena, and it kind of hit me at that moment that there wasn't anything else in the world that I wanted to do. Yeah. And um, mm-hmm. when I came home and told my mom, she was just, I think we both cried, and we were both so happy that I had, come, I had finally come to my center. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, that was, that's wonderful. Yeah, so that was in 1998, um, and I actually from I I only had like I guess like two more quarters left. So just a few more classes, and I I lived at home that last um, that last year and was completely already working on the farm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I had I went to school and learned to collect stallions and inseminate mares, and so that's kind of um, how long I've been doing all the breeding work on the farm. And mm-hmm. so it was it was great. It was really really great to just. You know, join the family business as as I really, I guess, deep down, always knew I would. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, wonderful. Well, that's a really good uh, segue point into shifting into our primary topic today, and I want to talk about how the Arabian horse serves as this very unique platform for overcoming cultural, political, religious barriers around the world, especially in the world that 
we are all living in right now um and just that there's very few things on this earth that have the ability to do it like the Arabian horse can and with your experience um uh, internationally from a very young age due to the Arabian horse i just want to talk to you a little bit about that um how do you feel like your experience with this breed has given you um a lengthy exposure to the the world pretty on uh, nearly every continent um and different cultures um let's let me think that's a pretty deep question so let me let me start with uh my personal journey so mm-hmm. i uh without the arabian horse i would be i i'm certainly would be living in germany mm-hmm. i would not be speaking with an american accent <laughs> i i would um I, I I don't actually know how my life would look, but it would be very, very different. So when I was nine years old, um my parents bought the this this farm here in California in Santinez, um and built they built the they, they bought the land and then built the farm and then in August of nineteen eighty four we uh moved she, my my mom and my dad and my young brother and I moved to the US. And um together with uh, thirteen thirteen of the horses went also. And so that completely changed the course of all of our lives, mm-hmm. and um, you know, we became we became well. First of all, we became American residents, and then later on, American citizens. Um, mm-hmm. and, but we would go back. My parents soon divorced, and my dad continued the farm in Germany. And so my brother and I uh, spent at least three three months every summer, and almost mm-hmm. nearly every winter, we would go in the in the winter time too. We would spend that time in Germany, and so I grew up. Um, really on two continents, and mm-hmm. it gave me a totally different perspective on on life and on um, well, on culture and religion mm-hmm. and you know all mm-hmm. of those things from a really really early time um, compared to the kids that I was going to school with here in San Inez. You know they mm-hmm. they didn't most of them didn't have that kind of well I don't know if anybody really well, had that kind of exposure. Most people in general don't. No, <laughs> exactly. True. And right. and I'm I'm so grateful for that opportunity and for that upbringing and mm-hmm. um and then when we would go to Germany, you know, to be with our dad, he was he was still breeding horses and would go to horse shows all around Europe and he took us to Africa, we went to South Africa for 3 weeks um one time because he he, he was doing some business there and it, it just um it really has been an amazing journey for me and mm-hmm. i and i have a child and i'm you know trying to give him that same type of exposure because mm-hmm. i think it really really serves us well when we have um when we have friends that come from completely different backgrounds um be, be they religious political geographical i mean it's all just really really yeah. important i think Absolutely. Did I answer did I answer that whole question? You, you like did. Kind of you did. Long. And so and and let's kind of explore that one layer deeper even. Yes. Um as we mentioned before, there are very few things on this earth if you really think about it that that can truly um and without inhibition transcend those barriers, um politics that we're in right now, cultural mm-hmm. divides, religion, but the Arabian horse somehow can. Can you talk to me about why you think it's so capable in this regard? So I wonder if it's 
I wonder if it's because they originated in, you know, in the Middle East, but then many hundreds of years ago went to Poland and Spain and Russia and England and, you know, the U.S. And so um, this horse has traveled so far, mm-hmm. and now, you know, people are breeding Polish horses or breeding mm-hmm. Spanish-Egyptian horses or Spanish horses or, you know, a mixture of it all. But I, I feel like just from from sort of from the very beginning, the Arabian horse was one that traveled the world and mm-hmm. has therefore brought the world together. Mm-hmm. So it, it's so interesting, too, when I think about where we've, you know, where some of the Omel Arab horses have gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, and it's really every single continent that Arabian horses are bred on. And so I can go really anywhere, really anywhere in the world and find sort of a, uh, I guess, a distant family just because yeah. of, the horses, mm-hmm. and that's amazing. I mean, I have I have friends, gosh, in places that are not places one wants to travel to right now, just because of you know the way uh-huh. that the world is. Um, but we don't look at any of those things. Mm-hmm. We look at our common passion for the Arabian horse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and can, may I interject there? Yeah. I, I was thinking as we were talking, you know, probably most of our listeners are. Um, in in not in your boat, but more in everyone else's boat, like mine, where we are uh, not raised in an international environment, and 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 we don't have an international breeding program, <laughs> and we're not traveling the world frequently like you are, and like your lucky <laughs> six-year-old is. You're making it <laughs> so, sound very glamorous. <laughs> <laughs> no, there is a glamorous side to it. Oh not, my gosh. Sure, not every day, but no. so. So what are some ways that I can take those lessons that you've learned through the Arabian horse, um, if even if I don't have those international experiences, and apply them to my everyday not-so-exciting life? <laughs> <laughs> You're funny. <laughs> so I, I think the takeaway really is that we are all connected as human beings, whether it doesn't matter where we come from and how we were raised and, um, you know, what, who we pray to or who we don't pray to or what types of foods we eat or our political affiliations. We're all connected just as human beings. And, and I think that, um, that through the Arabian horse, it really, it, it really has taught me that, that lesson that, yeah that we are all very, very similar. We're all we're mm-hmm. all connected. And it doesn't matter where we come from. So it, it mm-hmm. we do we do need to all work on tolerance of mm-hmm. of of humans and of, of all the humans on the planet. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think that is maybe the takeaway lesson from this. One of the things that I've loved hearing you say over the years are stories from um, different big international shows where they are playing, uh, sh- uh, bringing in the flags for um, all of the countries represented and playing the national anthem and, mm-hmm. you know, a very much of like an Olympic Games sort of feel and, and quality to it. And seeing truly, literally, right before your eyes, seeing the world together in one in one arena 
all celebrated around the Arabian horse and how mm-hmm. cool that is. It's, um, it's really it's really special. They do it in Aachen at the All Nations Cup and then mm-hmm. also in Las Vegas at the World Cup where mm-hmm. they bring in the flags and it's a really emotional moment. Mm-hmm. And yet the when when the national anthem is played, you know, at the World Championships for the champion or for or at, at the Nations Cup for the champion. I mean, they do it actually at, at most of the shows. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um you really get a sense of we are all here together and mm-hmm. and and they're definitely Sometimes not, you know, like there'll be a national anthem played and then another national anthem played, and those countries are not friends, but right. those people are. And right. so it it does transcend that mm-hmm. kind of stigma we have, um, which I think is yeah. really important in Absolutely. to look at kind of uh, as a whole. Yeah. Absolutely. And I, I don't know that there is a more poignant truth um, today at this very moment than that. So for sure. For sure. beautiful. Okay, so um, we'll lighten it up with one last question. Can you tell me, you have been on some amazing adventures with the Arabian horse. Um, I'm probably, it's probably difficult to choose one, but can you tell me one of your most amazing, crazy adventures? Yeah, so the, the one that I, um, one of my favorite trips ever was in 2007 when my mom and I traveled to Syria for the WAHO conference. And uh, it was also at a time where um, I remember I told our vet, we're going to Syria. And he's like, you are crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, we, we stopped telling people that we were going to Syria. <laughs> because they were really worried that we, you know, we wouldn't come back or whatever. And anyway, it was such a magical, magical trip. The first, um, I think the first four or five days, we're in Damascus at a really nice hotel where we, um, where we, so the WAHO conference is the World Arabian Horse Organization, and they meet every few years in, you know, in different places, parts of the world, and, and so there's always the conference part where, where we talk about, you know, different laws and things and rule, rules, and then there's, then there's the part at night where, um, there's banquets and there's um, open houses for, at, at the different farms and you know races and it's and and some cultural things too, mm-hmm. and, um, and and Syria was really really special. So we we spent the first little while in Damascus. We went to different mosques and we went to. It was really interesting for me actually to see um, to see the impact that Christianity had in Syria. And mm-hmm. we went um, we went to this this old church where they spoke um, Aramaic, which is like the, the language that Jesus, Jesus spoke, and we listened to a kind of a sermon in that, la- in that language, which wow. was so cool, and it was like the church was almost kind of underground because it was so wow. old, and, um, and then, you know, and like the, I don't know, the next day we went to a mosque and, and mm. um, got to see that. It was just like truly the cradle of civilization. We, mm. had, um, we had dinner one night. Gosh, I think it was on the Euphrates, or was it the Tigris? It was, you know, the Tigris Euphrates. I don't know which one it was. Gosh, this is terrible for those people that know these things. But we had dinner um, outside at a farm, and um, you could hear the river. I mean, we crossed the river to get to it, and it just really felt like you were part of something really, really ancient. Um, And and we went um, kind of all around the country in a bus for about over a week, I think. Um, and visited different Bedouin tribes and um, 
and got to see their horses. And there was one that sticks out in my mind. Like, it almost kind of makes me tear up when I think about it. They they had traveled. It was a small tribe with a, a herd of, I don't know, maybe 15 or 20 horses. And they had traveled for two days to meet us on the side of the road so that they could show us their horses. And, like, a, one of the mares had fold on the way. And I, I just, wow. I cannot even imagine. Um, wow. How they had traveled for this, you know. But, but as we all you know, came out of the bus and, like, kind of met with them. None of us could speak to one another, really. But there mm-hmm. was this, like, mutual passion for the mm-hmm. Arabian horse, which, mm-hmm. you know, was, was uh, it was just really a, a really, really special moment. And it's one that I will always remember. Um, no, Syria was, was really wonderful. And I'm grateful that I got to go to it um, kind of right before, you know, it all fell apart there. So, Mm-hmm. We still have some friends there, um, and um, yeah, it's just a, it was a magical, magical, magical trip. Do you have photos from that trip? I do, I do. I need to, I need to dig through some archives in my mom's computer. I yeah, it's all in there. Um, <laughs> yeah, we, I, I should. That would be a really nice thing to like put up on the website or do a blog Mm -hmm. post on or something. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, and if if you can find them, then we'll try to post them also on um, this podcast link here too. Absolutely. That would be amazing. And I could actually, there are a few people that, um, that were on that trip with us. I could see if any of them have photos too. So I I will work on that. Okay, great. Yeah. It was really cool. (laughs) Incredible. Incredible. That's just amazing. Well, Yanina, thank you so much for sharing your amazing um, story and perspective, your unique perspective. And um, it's just a really, it's touching not only to see the Arabian horse as an integral part of that, but also just to be reminded of, um, you know, who we are as human beings and and what we can do to um, further that kind of enlightenment that the Arabian horse shows us every day. So yeah, you did does. a wonderful job doing that for us today. I Thank love, you. I love how the Arabian horse just makes the our big world a smaller place. You know, really mm-hmm. truly does bring us all together. So thank you so much for um, for inviting me today. It was fun. Absolutely. And if people have any follow up questions for you, what's your best contact? So my email is info at omlarab.com. Omlarab is spelled O M E L A R A B. Um, we also have a Facebook page, uh, Omel Arab Facebook page, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, and, and you have, have, a, and you have and an email list too, right? They can sign up for a newsletter yes. with yes, Omel yes, Arab. Exactly. We do. We mm-hmm. have a newsletter that you can sign up if you go to the website. There's a little button, I don't know, at the top right or top left mm-hmm. where you can yeah. uh, you can join. Um, and then my phone number is on the website too. If people can call, we can chat. <laughs> perfect, perfect, yeah. perfect. And remind me again, what is your website address? OmLarab.com. Okay, O M E L A R A B.com. That's correct. Got it. All right, thank you again, Yanina Mers of OmLara. Yanina, we really appreciate your time, and um, we will look forward to talking with you again soon. Sounds good. Thanks so much, Evie. Thanks again for listening today, and watch for our upcoming podcasts. We Love Arabian Horses is an ambassador community that promotes Arabian horses with fellow horse lovers globally.
If you love this podcast and would like to hear more like it, make sure to subscribe to We Love Arabian Horses on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you're listening right now. To share ideas for topics and guests with us, and to learn more about sponsorship opportunities, send us an email to hello at welovearabianhorses.com.